haven't had a chance to say it yet to you. Happy New Year, all, all of you. Uh, blessing that God has brought us to 2014. And uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, um, I always like to point out there's a goal insert in your service folder that uh, can be of help for you as uh, we um, study God's Word together. Pray that more and more people get into the habit of also filling in those blanks uh, as that just is another help in remembering kind of the main points of the service or the sermon for that week. I know um, whenever you hit more than one sense, it uh, tends to make more sense. So um, the beginning of a new year tends to be a, a great time for people to sort of look at their lives, reevaluate, consider things that they'd like to make improvements on, whether that be financial, health-wise, or, or, or spiritual, and, and some of you here today, probably, whether it's been spoken or unspoken, official or unofficial, have made a New Year's resolution of sorts for 2014, and so I've got a little bit of class participation here at the beginning of this message. Um, what I want you to do in just a moment is to turn to someone seated near you you're not related to, and I want you to first share with them do you have some sort of a New Year's resolution or a change that you'd like to make in 2014? Um, if you haven't thought about that yet, like maybe I should look at the big picture in my life. That's, this is just bonus. This isn't even God's word. This is just help to you to, to take time to think about that, okay? And if, if no, then just I haven't done that yet. If yes, share with the person what that is, all right? So we'll take about a minute. Someone not related to you. All right, go ahead. It's uncomfortable at first, but then you just really like it. So go ahead. that you guys did much better than the first service. I'm not comparing, but like I, I had to hurry and start talking because there was silence at the first service. But uh, so much, thank you, thank you um, very much for your participation. Um, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm going to tell you something you already know. Very few New Year's resolutions actually take hold in people's lives. In fact, the newest statistics that just came out this week is that 25% of New Year's resolutions, that's one quarter of them, they fail by the end of the first week. First week, seven days, all right? 40% fail by the end of the first month, so that's almost half of them. And here's the most startling statistic of all. 92% of New Year's resolutions never take permanent hold in people's lives. It's just something that they do for a while and then it doesn't take hold. And, and here's something that I am not at yet. That percentage is infinitely worse than 92% if you're 50 years old or older. That means what? We get more stubborn in our ways as we get older, right? Now, these words or these statistics aren't very encouraging, but they're probably not very surprising, are they? And one of the reasons is because you know how hard it is to make big changes in your life. 
And in fact, that's why they become New Year's resolutions. Because if they were easy, you would just do them when you found out you should do them. But they're hard, so I'll wait till January. The New Year, right? And to make big changes in our lives, um, whether that be physically, uh, whether that be financially, whether that be spiritually, can be very, very difficult. We know we need to make them, but it's hard. And that's just the very first point that I want to make sure we all understand, our first fill-in. It's hard to make changes in our lives, isn't it? Maybe small changes, not so hard. Vanilla to chocolate, you know, it's not a big, big, hard thing. Big changes in our lives is very, very difficult. Now, this can be kind of depressing, but I want to let you in on something that dramatically changes the percentage. There's probably more than one, but one of the things that dramatically increases the likelihood of a New Year's resolution or a change sticking is if you find someone who has that same New Year's resolution and you go after that goal together. The statistics dramatically change. When you find, uh, I'll call it an, an accountability partner that motivates you, encourages you, chastises you nicely, if needed, and goes after that same exact goal together. You've probably found this to be true in certain areas of your life. I know I have. I'll give you an example of this. Um, about three years ago, um, P90 X, and every time you say you got to go X, you know, P90X, that exercise program was pretty, pretty pop, very popular. And what it is, if you're not aware, is a, a series of videos you play on your TV. It lasts for, as the title says, 90 days. And um, it's a pretty intense, you know, workout program, especially for at home. And Carrie wanted to give it a try. And so being, you know, the loving husband I am, you know, I said, all right, I'll give it a try with you. And the problem was the only time we could find on a daily basis to do this together was at 8.30 at night after the kids were in bed, which is not a great time to lunge, you know, stand up against the wall, do exercises, sweat, high knees, all that. Not, not a great time for that. At 8.30, on most nights, I'm kind of like, you know, the couch looks nice, you know, it's starting to wind down for the evening. We had the odds stacked against us. But on certain nights where I wanted to sit on the couch, Carrie would come down in her workout gear and say, I'm going to go exercise, and guys, we can't let our wives show us up. So I got off the couch, and I went to exercise with her. And there were other times where Carrie had a hard, difficult day, and she really didn't want to do the one-hour you know, exercise thing, and I'd say, come on, let's, let's just get it over with. Let's go. And inevitably, we did it all 90 days together, and the only way that happened is because we did it together. The only way that happened is because of that accountability that we had with and for each other in this area. Now, physical resolutions, like for our health, are important. But I, I think you'd agree with me that your spiritual life, as important as your physical life is, and it's very important, um, your spiritual life is even more important. And maybe some of us ha have made some New Year's resolutions around our spiritual life, and, and that is, if you haven't, I want you to think about that. How can you increase or better your life with God and with your Savior? 
And the thing is, coming off of Christmas, this is the perfect time to consider how we can respond to, to Jesus because we just came off a season where every week we were considering the love of God to come and to put on human flesh. As, as one writer said, it was God in a bod, right? Jesus come down, put on human flesh, live in a sinful world for us. And not just that he would live here, that would be sacrifice enough, but that he would take on our punishment on the cross and win for us a confident future. That through faith in him, we know where we're going. That through faith in him, Paul writes that your citizenship not will be in heaven, but your citizenship right now is in heaven. So whether it's your health or a loved one's health, whether it's challenges in your life or people around you, there is one thing that remains unchanging, where you're going to be someday. And you'd think, right, you'd think that that awesome message would just totally blow up and change our lives every single day, every single moment. Kind of like you'd think that if people realize how important it is to exercise daily, that they'd do it. Or how important it is to avoid certain foods that we do it. You, you just think that to be the case, right? But it doesn't happen. And in the spiritual realm, the reason is, is in part because we have two big battles every day. One of them is against our sinful nature. You see, when you became a Christian, God started this brand new life in you. And you're able to follow God and, and, and do godly things with the Holy Spirit's help. But until you get to heaven, that sinful nature is still battling. And I don't know about for you, but for me, to have the right attitude every day, to do what I know I should and not do what I know I shouldn't, it's exhausting. It's hard. That battle against the sinful nature can get tiring. And the other thing we battle is not just our sinful nature. We battle what I'll call the current of culture, all right, which is think about swimming and all of a sudden a white rap, a rapid comes and pushes you downstream, but you need to go upstream. That's what culture does to us. Nine times out of ten, what culture is for is not what God is for. And so we're daily battling that, and it's exhausting. And so, of course... We would say that our lives should totally change. And some days they do. But at times, our spiritual life, our faith relationship with Jesus is not where we want it to be. And I, I want you to know that culture and sinful nature, they're real elements, but they're not excuses for us. No more than the couch is an excuse for me not exercising. It's the couch's fault. No, it's not. Or ice cream is the excuse for, you know, a few extra pounds. It, it, you know, it's, it's that, you ice cream. It's not. Yes, sinful nature and culture are there, but it's my waywardness. It's my sin, and we need to take ownership of that. And ownership of the fact that through Jesus, we can change things. Now, our second fill in the blank is then just simply this truth. Why is your relationship with Jesus and faith so hard? Because sin or the sinful nature and culture challenge it every day. Every single day until you close your eyes to go to heaven, 
you'll be challenged in your relationship with Jesus. And so if there is no time to consider that relationship, the current will take you naturally in the direction you don't want to go. Every single one of us. We're not the only ones that have faced this issue. 2,000 years ago, there was a group of Christians that were in a very similar situation, sinful nature, current of culture, um, but it was even worse. Um, the society that they lived in, and we think most likely that this letter we're going to look at was written to those same Roman Christians from that book of Romans that uh, we read from earlier. Um, that in our culture, in their culture, it was much less Christian than even the American culture is today. It was much harder to follow Jesus in their culture than it is even in our culture today. And not only that, they were not just threatened with people's words or people not understanding where you're coming from. They were actually threatened with physical violence and death. And thousands and thousands of Christians were killed in the Roman Empire right after the time of Jesus. This faith in Jesus was not accepted, and people lost their life because of it. Now, at the very beginning of their faith life, I want you to listen how the writer describes how they would battle against that. Hebrews chapter 10. The writer says, Remember... Roman Christians, those earlier days after you received the light, remember right when you came to faith, right when you first understood the joy of Jesus and the joy of heaven, remember when you stood your ground in that great contest in the face of suffering? Remember when you stood your ground against those that wanted to persecute your faith and Christians? Sometimes even you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And so this is how their faith life started. And if you're a person who came to faith later in life, not as a child, you probably remember when the gospel was brand new to you and how it just totally changed your perspective, it changed your goals, it changed your purpose. For those of us who came to faith maybe as an infant, um, maybe we've always known Jesus, but there was a point in our life where those truths took firmer hold in our life. And we can remember the, the freshness of the gospel and of that, that new life of living for him. This is what these Roman Christians were experiencing. But it got exhausting. And it got tiring. And so the writer writes to them. Next verse, next slide. Let us, then he says, hold unswervingly to that hope that we profess. Why? Because God who promised his presence, his forgiveness, heaven, because he's faithful. Don't forget that he's with you. And as you remember this faithful God, hold unswervingly. When I see that word, I cannot help but think about 15-year-old Ben driving with his uh, driver's permit for the first time on a two-lane highway with my dad, um, God bless him, um, sitting next to me. And the first time, you know, I revved that Dodge Aries station wagon to 55 miles an hour, I'll be honest, I drove swervingly. <laughs> 
And, and I'd get a little cl- too close to the center line, and, and then I'd, you know, over-adjust and go too far to the shoulder. And for the first five miles, you know, I was driving, as I said, swervingly. Has your faith life ever been swervingly? The writer says to these Roman Christians, your goal is to be less swerving. You want to get your driver's permit? Don't swerve so much. Your goal as a Christian is to hold on unswervingly. That's not new for you. But it's hard. I think I've used this before. Someone could tell me to go dunk a basketball. I understand. I can't do it. This is hard. The cool thing is, as hard as it is, the writer continues in the next verse. And he gives these Roman Christians encouragement to hold unswervingly, or how to, that I know we still need 2,000 years later. Here's what he writes. Hold unswervingly to the hope you have, and then here's your game plan. Consider how you, how we, may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then he says... Don't, or let us, don't give up meeting together, as some of you have been getting into the habit of doing. What he's saying is, you used to always get together. You used to encourage each other. But some of you have been giving that up. Don't, but encourage each other even more as you see the last day approaching. One of the biggest problems the writer saw, and remember, he was inspired by God, so this wasn't just his seeing this. This was God inspiring him. One of the biggest problems for these Christians, why they were swerving, was because they were isolating themselves from other Christians. That they weren't being intentional with gathering around them other people who have the same hope, the same Savior, the same joy, the same goals. And the writer brings up something that's very true when it comes to P90X. It doesn't work very well in isolation at 8.30 at night. And he brings up something that is just as true about your spiritual life. It's hard to be unswerving when we isolate ourselves, intentionally or unintentionally, from other people who have the same goals, the same purpose, the same hope, the same Savior. And so our next fill in the blank is simply this. Isolation from other Christians will challenge your relationship with Jesus. It's just a fact. Faith is harder if you don't have Christians around you. And you've maybe experienced this. You may have not. It's true whether you have or not. Being isolated from other Christians is a challenge to your relationship with Jesus. So here's a question for you. As you consider the goals that you might have for your spiritual life in 2014. Do you have people in your life that are going to provide spiritual encouragement and accountability? It doesn't matter what age you're at. Doing the right thing, the godly thing, is easier in middle school if you have other Christian friends that are trying to do the same thing. 
It's easier in high school. It's easier in college. It's easier as a 20-something. It's easier as a 30-something. It's easier as a senior citizen. It doesn't matter. No matter what age we are, isolation from other Christians will be a challenge. And so the question is, again, do you have people in your life that will provide this encouragement and accountability? And let me say this, that your spouse is a good place to start. Okay? If you don't have that, if that's not the kind of relationship that you have on a spiritual level, that may be where you need to start this year. But I will also say that's not what the writer is talking about. So it doesn't stop there. I've got my spouse, that's enough. That, that's not enough according to God. The writer encourages us to grow and to gather with other Christians outside of our homes, outside of our families. Do you have that? And the other thing about, you know, kind of fleshing this out a little bit more, in verse 24 it says, let's not stop encouraging each other. What does that mean? Well, that word for encourage doesn't happen, you know, over a cup of coffee for 10 minutes after the church service, all right? How are you doing? Good, I'm fine, right? And then, all right, it's cold outside. Um, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking there about, you know, saying, th just saying things like, I'll be praying for you, or Jesus loves you. That's a part of it. But that's, it's not just these word blasts that you could put on Twitter or something like that. The word for encourage has the idea of a continuous thing that's not just words, but it's a walking with someone. The word for encourage that the writer uses is doing life together, walking next to someone, where they get to know who you are and you let them. And you get to know who they are and they let you. And then you together grow as you understand each other's strengths and weaknesses. You motivate, you strengthen, you encourage. And at times, you have difficult conversations too. you know how much that makes a difference? Let me give, let me give you an example of this. Um, have you ever been talking to someone and you've noticed that they have something on their face that they don't know that's there? You know, like it's a splash of ketchup, you know, from lunch, or maybe it's lipstick on their teeth, or it's, it's lettuce wedged between their teeth, or, and, and I tried really hard to make this one very pastoral, because you can't say certain words in church, but, you know, so here it is, here's my pastoral. The residue that comes after blowing your nose sometimes. You like that? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? And if you've ever seen someone that has something on their face, the question is, what do you do about it? And here's the answer. It depends who the person is, isn't it? Because if it's someone you just met, you're not sure what to say. And you're embarrassed to say it. You don't feel like you have the right to say it. And that person still wants to know this so they can get it off their face. But you don't say anything or out of their teeth. But if it's someone you know, you don't even think twice. This uh, example came to me because at council meeting about a week ago or so, I was talking to Brad Recchi, um, our, our church president, and about two seconds into our conversation, he said, dude, got something on your nose. And I was so glad that he did, because the worst thing is to go home to find lettuce in between your teeth and know that came from lunch, which was like six hours ago. It's been there all day. You wish someone would love you enough to just tell you, right? 
wish someone would just love me enough to know me enough to tell me. Not just about lettuce between our teeth, but about other things. About things that are much more damaging than just lettuce or residue. Things that are infinitely more important than that. Both encouragement, motivation, strength, mutual encouragement. And we don't get that from culture. We need that from other Christians. And so God wants you to do life together with other Christians. And here's our next filling. God uses relationships with other Christians as a catalyst or a help for spiritual encouragement and accountability. Not only does he use it, that's what he created it for. That's what he's telling these Roman Christians in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't get, stop, give up meeting together because you need encouragement and accountability from other Christians. Because your tendency is to go sit on the couch. And you need to know there's other people that aren't sitting on the couch. And can I be clear again with this? This isn't the question, do you have friends? You know as well as I do, there are some friends that you have a good time with, but they are not the right person to encourage you spiritually or account accountability. In fact, Solomon says the very same thing in Proverbs, which I, this is such a great verse. The person who walks with wise people spiritually, those people will grow wise. You walk with someone who's spiritual, who's a Christian, um, you'll grow wise. But if you walk with people or a companion of fools spiritually, you'll suffer harm. It'll be a detriment to you. You walk with the wise, you grow wise, you surround yourself with people who give you the wrong advice, the wrong encouragement, at a certain point, it will be a negative to your faith, to your hope, to your spiritual life. And so the Christian life is really, you know, two parts here. Um, I don't think any Christian should totally devoid their life of people who aren't Christians. You need people in your life that you can be a light to, but the people you listen to for encouragement and support, they need to be people of the same faith, or they're not going to be sending or directing or encouraging you in the right direction. That's what Hebrews 10 says. Some of you are great at doing that on your own. You have a network outside of your family or spouse. For most of us, it's harder. So where does church fit into all of this? Well, most people, when they think of the blessing of church, they think primarily of what happens right now. Church is that place you go for one hour a week and, and you sit in rows next to people. You don't talk to them unless the pastor makes you talk to them at the beginning of the service. And ah, that's all uncomfortable. I don't like that. But otherwise, you just sit there and, and you listen, right? You sing some songs. And believe me, the service like we have right now, it serves a purpose, a purpose that will never go away because this connects you to God. As you hear his word, as you go to communion, this is a purpose that never leaves. It's an important purpose. But I want you to realize it is not what Hebrews 10 is talking about. It wasn't designed, the worship service, to do that. It's designed to connect you to God, not to other people. As your church, and you are the church, we realize that we can't, you know, create relationships for you with other Christians. 
but what we can do is create opportunities for that to happen. And that is exactly why Hebrews chapter 10, exactly why we have this ministry called Growth Groups. There's probably not a thing at Bethlehem that I'm more passionate about or has made a bigger difference in my life than groups. If you're not sure exactly what it is, basically it's uh, groups of eight to sometimes 14 people that meet in people's homes and their goal, and sometimes this takes time, is to do life together. You pray together, you eat together oftentimes, um, you study God's word together, but the most important thing is that it is a planned time where you invest in each other. And that investment isn't just once every other week. It also happens when, when you email each other or call people on the phone and all of these connections that happen in between your official meetings as well. The people that I'm in growth group, growth group with, and I'm in at least two, technically you could say four, but at least two growth groups are some of not only my closest friends here at church, but truly some of my closest friends in life. And we've gone in all of these groups through a lot of things together. Uh, we, we've gone through the death of close relatives. We've gone through depression. We've gone through job changes. We've gone through illnesses. Lots and lots of things. And like I said, it's been one of the biggest blessings in my life. And that shouldn't be a surprise because God said it would be. That when you gather together, there's this encouragement that happens. And so our, our fifth fill-in is this. Growth groups are a way, and I realize some of you are great at just creating this network on your own. Most of us aren't, but you might be. So growth groups are a way that you can do life together. Sometimes you've, you've got this goal that you want for the new year. You're not sure how to get there. Here's the cool thing. You maybe have this goal to grow closer in your faith relationship with Jesus, and we've created a way for you to get there. You don't have to worry about the way. We've done that. Just need to connect. In close, I, I want to address maybe one of the biggest stumbling blocks that people have felt when it comes to groups. There's more than one, but this is the one I hear the most often. And I, I won't, you know, it's, it's just kind of a paraphrase, and, and it's something like this. Um, sounds great. I see how the Bible says that. I see that it's important. I just don't have time. And what I, I'd like to say is that I get it. Believe it or not, um, pastors don't like just to do churchy stuff all the time. They, they, they like to have hobbies. I like to sit and watch a football game, and believe it or not, um, so I'm just like you in that way. The question isn't whether you have time. The question is whether you're going to make time. There's not one person in groups that signed up because they're like, you know what, I don't have enough to do. And I'm so glad that you helped me find something to do because otherwise I'd just be sitting twiddling my thumbs. Not one person in groups has a life like that. Guess what they've done? They've made time because whether they knew it or not, biblically, this is important. They understood the value of continually getting together with people and not just to be surface level, but over time to really get to know the struggles and the hardships and the joys and to be able to, to pour into their lives and to receive the blessings of being poured into. They understood the truth of Hebrews 10, 
Let's not give up meeting together. Let's encourage each other all the more as we see Jesus return approaching. That's my goal for you in 2014. I hope it's in groups. It doesn't have to be. But that you would find other Christians to do life together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your word that is just as true 2,000 years ago as it is today. Lord, we uh, thank you for the, the Christians in our lives, and, and if those, those relationships have been very surface level, pray that whether people are in groups or, or are going to be in groups, that those relationships would grow to be the, the, the strengthening and encouragement that we need as fellow Christians. Lord, as we continue to, to uh, pray this morning, we keep in our prayers uh, Murray and Dale Lemke as Murray's brother.